We're on our series on following Jesus as pilgrims through this world, inspired by and sometimes comparing it with John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, which he wrote while he was in prison uh, several hundred years ago. Today we're looking at the topic of work and how we can worship through work. What would you do if a relative died and left you a fortune? As much money as winning the lottery. Would you give up all your work, travel around the world maybe, indulge your hobbies, give some to your family members and friends and charities? What would you do from that point on? I know a man who after he came into a big inheritance, he left work. Before he left, he was asked, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to go fishing, he said. (laughs) I don't know about you, but fishing all day, one day would be enough for me. I used to enjoy fishing, but all week, all year. It can soon wear off. But why would someone quit work if they came into a lot of money? Is work simply there just so we can get a bit of money? Is it a distraction, an annoyance? If people would give up work and just do what they wanted, they wouldn't think twice to do so if they could. Now, sometimes people who... I'm not talking about people who are retiring early if their job becomes too stressful or where you have to leave work to look after the children or care for a relative. There are many justifiable reasons why some people aren't working in employment. And too many people are just trying to make ends meet. And for them, it's more about putting bread on the table and paying the gas bills than anything else. Their focus is is more on the basic needs The question again, if you came into a lot of money, would you leave work if you didn't have to? Money doesn't always make life easier. There are many people who win the lottery later say that it ruined their lives for a variety of reasons. There was one man called Jack who won the lottery. He ended up partying hard. He indulged in all kinds of things that men shouldn't get involved in. His life changed so much. Instead of being a nice character, he was loved by many people in the community. In the end, he became such a prodigal that no one wanted to know him anymore. His wife divorced him, and much worse happened as well in his family. And he reflected much later, my wife said she wished that she had torn the ticket up. Well, I wish that we tore the ticket up too. At first, I didn't think anything would change, but everything has changed. Fulfillment didn't come from money. If only he could have grasped the the truth that Paul tells Timothy, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Too many people are chasing wealth in the hope that they will find contentment. But the Bible says that we ought to seek contentment 
and then we will have great wealth. Contentment in Christ, a contentment in God. So if you have a job, why do you go to work? Would you still work if you didn't have to financially? And if you don't have a job, if you would like to have one but can't find one, or can't work for other reasons, if you've been made unemployed or health doesn't enable you to work, does the topic of work seem irrelevant? The topic of work in the Bible is much bigger than employment. Going out and doing a job and coming back with a weekly or a monthly wage. It's much more about being than being employed or self-employed. Work includes all that we do. It includes everything, work and then rest. It includes all that we do, whether at home, looking after the children, volunteering for a charity, helping a community group, caring for a relative or those in need. It also, how we, it also includes how we use our time if we're retired or if we're unemployed. We don't have to have a job to do work. <clears throat> you know the, the, the often cited situation where a husband or a wife is at uh, home looking after the children and when the spouse comes in at the end of the working day, they, <clears throat> they want them to take the child for a while. But instead they hear, don't you realize I've been working hard all day? <laughs> I need a rest. Call me when tea's ready. <laughs> and they don't realize that the other person has been cleaning, has been tidying up, cooking, shopping, taking the children to school, picking them up attending to their needs, helping them with homework, especially when the baby is crying and all it seems to want is fed and then changed and fed and changed and you hardly get a break in between. Or when they finally get a rest to sit down with the children and watch TV with them for a moment and they long for an adult conversation instead of another episode of Peppa Pig or... Angelina Ballerina or something like that. It can be really stressful. It can be hard work when you're at home, when you're not employed, out working. So who was working hard all day? In fact, some men love to go to work when they've got a young family because it's easier than being at home. It's hard work than being at home, raising a family. Work isn't just what we do to earn money. Work is what includes what we do, even if we're not in a job. And that includes what we do if we're unemployed as well. What do we do with our day? We can do lots of things during that day. We can, we can use it effectively. We can help others out. We can maybe do some learning. We can do various different things that are productive within the confines of our circumstances. So what does the Bible say about work? How can we get a biblical understanding about work, to do our work well, to please God? Well, the first thing is to work to please God. How often do people work to do a job because they enjoy it? It gives me pleasure 
If you're working because you really like it, because that's what you really get a buzz out of doing, then that's great, but it's not a good enough reason. We should do it for God. We ought to work to bring glory to him. We ought to work for his, for his glory, not our own. Our work ought to be God-centered, not self-centered. We may do the same thing, basically the same way, but the approach that we have to it is that we're doing it for God. We're doing it out of service for him rather than because we enjoy it. We're doing it for ourselves. Several things. You'll always have a good boss if you work primarily for God, for the Lord. It's only when our work is God-centered first and foremost that we can be content regardless of the pressures that we face. If we have a difficult boss, we can get frustrated when they don't treat us well. But if we see God as ultimately our boss, we'll do our work primarily to please him. We know he'll be pleased, even if our line manager isn't. So we can be content that God knows how well we have worked, even if our boss doesn't care. Paul says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you're serving is Christ. He goes on in Ephesians 6, and he's talking about slaves, but it's essentially not that different. It's not like slavery in America. It's it's more like, well, not quite, but it's more like being in servitude, being in in a employment, but it didn't have the same rights. But he was saying, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. He wasn't condoning slavery, but he was saying... Within the situation you find yourself, do good and do it to the Lord. And just because you're in a situation where you wish you had a better job or a better situation, that doesn't mean you can be grumpy towards your boss all the time. Do what's good for them. Have a good attitude at work. And if you love the Lord, you will find your work fulfilling. If you're doing it for him, they can have a fulfillment that others will only wonder at. They won't see why you're so joyful, why you're enthusiastic about doing things that, that they don't really care to do themselves. <clears throat> that way, when you're at work, you can shine as a light in a dark place if there's no other believers around. You can have a different approach. You can have a different moral standard. I know one believer who was once described as the conscience of the company that they were working in. They wouldn't do anything that was, that was immoral. And they were in a 
a relatively significant job, either in management or quality control. A lot of things had to pass through them. And if they said, no, we can't do that, that's not right. Well, the bosses knew that they shouldn't do it. But if he allowed it to happen, they knew they could do it without, without a second thought. And sometimes even if you're in that situation, your bosses will hear what you say, but then not act on it. They'll go against it and do what's what'll bring in the money, what'll make things easier for them. They'll cut corners. And we oughtn't to do that. And we ought to do what is right ourselves, but sometimes we can't control the whole workplace. But we can control what we do. Sometimes it's hard to speak the truth in love. But that's part of what it is to be a witness at work. Jesus is our example for working under a difficult boss. Peter has a lot to say. The Bible has actually a lot to say about work when you piece together a lot of the different pieces. But Peter teaches us how to respond to a difficult boss, even a really bad boss. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If you miss out on a promotion... If you get bad-mouthed by your boss or various different things that we, we can suffer at work, don't throw the head up. Don't respond. Don't reply with evil for evil. Respond with grace. Pray for those who do wrong to you. By all means, follow all the procedures available through HR to to bring a grievance, to make a complaint, get a union involved, even take it to a tribunal instead, if necessary. But treat your boss kindly at all times. Endure suffering well, is what Peter tells us. It doesn't mean we should welcome suffering or put up with it or without trying to, to write it. But insofar as we suffer it, follow the example of Christ. And God will reward your motivation and your faithfulness. In the parable of the talents, different people were given different investments to work with. And one was given five talents, another two, and a third was given one talent. But although Jesus focuses and the story focuses on the person who had one talent, the principle is there that no matter what Jesus had given them. 
He just wanted them to use what they had been given. He didn't want them to all produce the same amount, the same result. If you're in a different circumstance than somebody else, you can't expect it to have the same results as somebody else. In fact, the person who received five talents doubled them into ten. And the person who had two talents turned it into four. Although the numbers were different, the result was the same, a doubling. Both of them did the same thing. They were faithful in the circumstances they found themselves in. And they both got the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is repeated for each of them. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Not everybody is able to do the same as others. Not everybody has five talents, some of two, some of one. Hardly anybody has the same IQ as Einstein. So we're not expected to come up with great things like he did. It's okay. And it's okay if you're not gifted or as famous a guitarist as Ed Sheeran or as good a singer as Adele. Um, although we've got Adele here. <laughs> um, but that's Okay. Uh, I'm certainly not as good a singer as Edel. Um, But let's use our gifting as best we can in the circumstances we find ourselves in. And God will be just as pleased with us. The way we work has eternal value. The way we work is far more important than what we work at. Our attitude to our work is far more important than our ability or our circumstances. God rewards your attitude or your motivation, even if you have limited opportunity to do more than you want to, more than you can. Jesus tells us, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. The days of Billy Graham crusades are, well, somewhat over. And many people used to help out at the Billy Graham crusades. I remember doing that in London as well, uh, along with thousands of other people. Just doing a little bit. It might be just helping out with a tea and coffee. It might be helping people who are inquiring to to know how to trust in Jesus. It might be training others in the the run-up to it. There was only one person in the pulpit, but there were thousands of people who would get an evangelist's reward. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you were sharing, if you were just doing the tea and coffee in an evangelist's name, you will get the evangelist's reward as well. And so if if you're at church and you can't share the gospel as well as others, but you're praying for them, you're inviting people, you're doing the tea and coffee when there's an event, that all counts as much as the person who's actually up front sharing the gospel. You'll get the same reward. 
The Lord is so gracious and he doesn't reward us the way the world rewards. There's, there's not many celebrities who get the big money and the fame. There's not many people who are as gifted and able as those who are, well, very gifted and able. There's a lot of people aspire to that. But in God's way of working, even if we're not able, if we're, if we're in there wanting and supporting and doing what we can, even if it's just an old person at home praying for something, that, gets, that person gets the same reward as the person who's out doing it. There are many people who are going to see in glory who are getting a missionary's reward not because they were missionaries who went into new situations or foreign countries, but because they were at home praying, receiving prayer letters, and they were engaged in that work of mission. And they will get the same reward. God doesn't reward you on what you've been able to do. He rewards you for what you want to engage with. When it comes to witnessing at work, this is one area where Christians really don't shine terribly well. It's because a lot of people think that witnessing equals evangelism. In the workplace, a lot of Christians think, right, my only role my, is to share the ABCs of the gospel with their work colleagues. And they're constantly thinking, how can I share? How can I turn this conversation around to, the, to preach at them? <clears throat> but in the process, they miss out on an awful lot of opportunities to witness. They miss out on the opportunities when somebody is struggling to give them a sympathetic word, to to encourage them, to support them, to listen. They miss out on an ethical issue of how to speak the truth in love. It's not evangelism, but it is witnessing, it's sharing God's standards, God's truth. Often Christians in the workplace don't treat people as people. They treat them as potential converts they're not interested in them as they don't listen to them as people they just say well if I can share the gospel with him that'll be another person if she can trust in the Lord that's another one they see them as numbers and people sense that they might not be very theologically astute they might not know all the doctrines they might not be able to understand the word of God but they can certainly tell where people are coming from Yes, share the gospel as much as possible. But often these caring opportunities are actually the ways into sharing the gospel that we so often miss. But also (coughs) Christians can be in the workplace so focused on sharing the gospel that they'll take an extended lunch break and not work, skive off work, because they're doing something better and it is better to share the gospel but
do it during break time, do it during lunch time, do it after work. We have to be faithful workers. Our testimony can be affected. Witnessing is far more than, than evangelizing. And when it comes to be a good witness, one author has written, be genuine, be honest. Don't try to be the model Christian. Just be the Christian you are. Be hopeful. Don't be depressive saying the end is now every day. But we have a hope. We should have a joy that people can see in us. Be righteous, speak the truth impartially. Call out injustice or deception or dodgy business practices. And be faithful to your boss, to your company, to your colleagues. Work well for them. After all, that's what you're paid for. And be relational. Love your work colleagues. Support them, care for them. By doing these things, you will shine And people will see your good deeds and glorify God. And that can open the door to the gospel far more than trying to see when can I share the ABCs of the gospel. Another point. All work is equally valued before God. Before the Reformation, there used to be sort of a, well, in some countries, you've got a class division. In the church, there was a, a clergy laity division. The priests, the nuns, the monks, those who were in full-time work for the Lord were closer to God. If you wanted to get closer to God, you would go into a monastery. You couldn't do it just in your ordinary work. That's the way people thought. But Luther quashed that idea. He taught... A rather confusing title, but he taught the doctrine that we're all equal before God. We all have equal access to the Father through faith in Christ. Christ is our mediator, not those who are the clergy. We don't have to go through the clergy to get to Christ, to get to the Father. We, Each of us goes straight to Christ. There's no hierarchy in the church. The doctrine is called the priesthood of all believers. It's a way of trying to say, well, we're all at the same level as the priests. That doesn't mean we're all priests because we don't need a priesthood in the New Testament era. The Old Testament priests pointed forward to the ultimate high priest, Jesus, who sacrificed himself on the cross. We don't need the symbolism of the priesthood to point back to the cross because we see the cross clearly now he is the only mediator between God and us the point is Luther was saying that the farmhand milking the cow can glorify God as much as the the full time Christian worker the person who's a cleaner, the person who's a teaching assistant, the person who might be a professor in, in a university can all glorify God just as much as the person who's a full-time missionary, the person who's a full-time pastor or preacher. Children at school 
can glorify God just as much as their pastor. We might be in different circumstances, but God is interested in what do we do in our circumstance. Are we doing our work well? Are we doing it for him? Sometimes evangelists who have a more flexible timetable can actually not put in as much work as those who are working full time. Sometimes they take advantage of their flexibility and don't do as good a job as they might. And it looks as though they're doing everything for the Lord, but they're actually not sometimes. I'm not saying by all means, by a lot of the time, but sometimes, occasionally, they can be, it can be deceptive. The person, the student who's working, the person who's in a job can actually be bringing more praise and glory to God. We can worship God through our work, whatever it is we do. Whether it's at home or in employment. And <clears throat> unemployment is equally valued before God too. Christians are expected to work if they have the ability and the opportunity. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. It teaches that we ought to work to provide for our families. Paul was addressing a situation in Thessalonica where he thought, the Lord's coming soon. Right, that's it. We don't need to work. People were leaving their jobs and having to rely on others to keep them, to feed them. And the situation was getting out of hand. Paul says, listen, just get on with your work. Everybody should work. Support yourself, support your family. That's the norm. Of course, we're not in control of the economic situation. If we can't get a job, if we can't get a good job, that's outside of our control. We need to rely on benefits. We need to rely on the help of others. But if the circumstances do allow, if our health and everything allows, we ought to get a job. But yet, there's other kinds of work that we still can do. We can volunteer at a charity. We can help out neighbours. We can do <coughs> various different things. We can do the DIY in the house, which we wouldn't be able to do if we get a job soon. We, we should use our abilities within the limitations of our circumstances and do things to help others to glorify God. If we don't have a job... It's good to get into a good routine each day, have a disciplined rhythm to each day, to each week. But most of all, remember that if you can't work, if you want to work, if you, but you can't, it's not your fault. And God will be content and God will be pleased with whatever you happen to do as long as you're trying to do it for him. And if you're retired, you can work too. Some of the greatest accomplishments in history were carried out by people late in life. I could give you a long list, but let me just mention Michelangelo. 
He was 87 when he completed the, the Pieta, his greatest sculpture. And Moses, well, he only came across the burning bush when he was 80. He only began his whole ministry of taking the Israelites out of Egypt and around and almost into the promised land when he was 80 years old. When we get older, we get a little bit slower. But we don't cease to be able to, be able to do things. We can still do things for the Lord. It's not, on, it's not employment, but we can still work and do things. But the reality is that we often sin. The work is not what it ought to be. But God provides forgiveness when we do sin at work as in elsewhere. No one's perfect. Christians aren't perfect. Even if our boss doesn't see, God sees. And we ought to be honest at work and admit when we got things wrong instead of trying to keep up a facade that we're perfect. Be honest. People are naturally... Well, sin makes us lazy. Sin makes us rebellious. Sin makes us not really want to put much effort into doing things. Sin makes us rebel when the line manager says, right, I want you to do these things. And I'm not doing that. Um, We don't like being told what to do. There are many ways in which sin brings out the rebel in us, brings out the, the sinful nature in us. Well, we've got to be careful on that. We've got to try and do what's right. Not to do it before the Lord. But when we do sin, we shouldn't respond by trying to cover it up or deny it. We should confess. We should admit it. Confess it to the Lord. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And even if we have started off with a bad attitude, it's not how we start, it's how we finish that matters. Jesus told a parable to those who refused to believe in him. He told a parable of two sons who were asked to go out by their father into into the field to work. And the first son said, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he says, yes, I will. But he didn't go. Jesus asked, which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Jesus explained the meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. It's not those who are saying the right things and giving the right impression It's those who actually do the Lord's will in the end. It's how we finish that matters more than how we start. It doesn't matter if we've had a terrible track record, if we've been anything but the model worker. But God wants us to turn back to him and to begin living as we ought to before him. And when we do that, and when we finish like that, that's what he's pleased with. There is forgiveness in the cross. Jesus died on the cross. He became 
the lazy worker. He became the worker that was bad-mouthing the boss behind his back. He became, he became sin in its many forms. And he suffered our punishment for our sin on the cross so that we could have the righteousness of God through faith in him. No matter what we've done in the past, we are forgiven when we turn to Jesus. His blood shed on the cross is the reason we can have a clean conscience, the reason we can do these things for the Lord. He took the punishment we deserve so that we can have the righteousness we don't deserve as God's gift. There's more we could say about work. There's more we could say such as work isn't just something that is for fallen sinners. Work was something that was given to us before the fall. Work is something that isn't just given to us. God worked and then he rested. Work is a good thing. Sin has made it a drudgery. Sin has made it difficult. But work is a good thing in itself and we should strive to do that. Work needs to be followed by rest. We ought not to overwork. We ought not to idolize work. Um, work is followed by rest. Not We shouldn't be trying to replace work with recreation and have just a recreational life. It's good to work, to be productive, to do things, to help others and to give glory to God. When we see that the Lord is ultimately our boss. And when we work for him, we can have a completely different attitude to others around us. We can have a joy in our work that even when nobody else sees, even our supervisor, our line manager, or the boss doesn't see the way we do things, we can know, we can have joy that the Lord sees. Other people might be complaining, thinking, I'm doing all this work. They're not doing any because the boss doesn't see. And yet I'm doing this work and nobody's giving me any credit. The Lord sees everything we do and we know that. So we do it for him. We can worship God through our work. So let's be encouraged. Let's worship him. Not just in our services, in our devotions, but in the work that we do, whether in employment or elsewhere. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the example of working. You worked, you created for six days, and then you had rest. Lord Jesus, you worked as a carpenter or a builder. Lord, you worked for years before you, you did your work of ministry. And then you did that work on the cross which only you could do. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to do what you have called us to do. Help us to be faithful. Help us to find joy in our work because we're doing it for you most of all. Help us to give you glory. Help us to worship in our work. In Jesus' name, amen.